What is going on, assets? We are back here with another episode of the Asset Estate Podcast, talking everything real estate from newbie investors all the way to the experienced guys. Um, the beauty of real estate, and I, I find this doing these podcasts, and I just love to see, is that everybody has a different sort of style, a different sort of method when it comes to real estate investing. Not everybody's doing everything the, the, the same way. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. People just have different goals in life. People live in different areas where it calls for different things, different you know restrictions, different laws, different regulations. Um, and people just have different sort of desires, right? Some people like the, the quick, fast, you know, turnover of Airbnb life. Some people like the uh, longevity of having long-term tenants. And that's for you to decide as an investor. And what I like to do is, is just hear perspectives from everybody because uh, there's pros and cons to it all. So uh, without further ado, we're going to bring on Ziana. Ziana is a, started off uh, in 2012 uh, as a Airbnb short-term real estate investor. She has now done the mid, the mid-sized stuff and uh, we just want to bring her on. Um, welcome, Ziana. We appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So 2012, you started Airbnb investing. Is that correct? I know. You're still in diapers. Uh, I was graduating <laughs> high school, but I wasn't even familiar. I didn't even know Airbnb has been around that long. Yeah, they started it in 2008. It was born out of the recession. And okay. yeah, I think a lot of people didn't hear about Airbnb until... 2016 or 17 something like that yeah i was uh, you know i i see you know airbnb definitely got more popular during the COVID era because it allowed for more a little bit more privacy but i wasn't using airbnb until 2018 to 2020 so i'm shocked to see that it's been around that long yeah yeah it's nice to be on the early side of stuff because when you get in early it's like every year it makes more and more money yeah no absolutely and i think you know and correct me if I'm wrong, we can dive into this. How, what was regulations like back then in 2012? Was there any sort of regulations on Airbnb? Was it a lot easier to get involved, uh, you know, breaking through that barrier? Yes, but it was also really slow because nobody knew about it. So I didn't start hearing people talk about it till probably 2015, maybe. Um, but yeah, when I started, I would tell people about it and they just like wouldn't know what I was talking about. So it took a while to get like, the momentum of a lot of tenants and guests using the platform. Got it. Um, so what did that look like as far as vacancy goes? If not many people knew about it, how were you able to either profit from it or be able to have people, you know, turnover or be able to have that much uh, sort of revenue if nobody knew about it? Yeah, I think for me, I was a college student when I got started and I just didn't, I didn't make much anyway. And so I didn't need much. And I was basically just trying to cover my rent. I was arbitraging at the time. So that just means like master leasing or renting and re-renting. So kind of like a sublet. But basically for me, it was just like, sweet. I had a roommate move out and I had a spare room. And I just thought, let me, let me try this thing that I heard about. And it worked out so well that I got a second apartment and was living between two apartments for two years. So for me, I guess I just didn't have anything to compare it with. And my living expenses were so low that I was like, if I can make 2000 or 2500 a month in profit, which you could easily do off of two properties, then I was like, sweet, I'm chilling. Yeah, no, that that definitely does sound nice. And I just want to say it's, it's, it's outstanding. It's, I'm actually blown away that you're doing Airbnb arbitrage in 2012, something that's like 
recently become such a hot topic. Um, it's almost like you went through a time machine or something. Like you knew that this was a thing. You know, you're doing it before people I were doing wish it. You I know? did. <laughs> if I went through a time machine, I'd be much more wealthy than I am. But yeah, no, it was great to get started early. And the thing about it, though, is that we were talking about this offline. But like nowadays, there's like TikTok people teaching and Instagram people teaching. Nobody was talking about Airbnb back then. There were no blogs. There were no books. So I really had to figure it out on my own. And so that meant I made a lot of mistakes and I I was a lot slower to grow. But I see people now where it's like in three years, they're making like three million a year. So the sky's the limit. You can do incredible stuff. But for me, I, I retired at 28, which is how old you are now. Um, but it took me a while. I was, I was slow. I, I picked up about a property a year. So everybody's a little different. Got it. And uh, you're still doing Airbnb till today. What's your main focus? Yeah. So my main focus is MTR. So the mid or medium term rental space, which is 30 days plus. Is there a reason why you switched from short term to, to, to middle term? Is it you were just kind of sick of this, the, the quick turnover or why exactly did you make that switch? Yeah. So, I mean, I made a switch in COVID, but there's a couple of reasons. So not only is it easier just not having as many turnovers, like we were talking about earlier, it's just like three days is the average turn in a short term rental. And it's just a lot of stuff to deal with constantly. Um, so when people are staying in these longer stays, they're generally doing 90 days. And so that's just a lot more mellow. You've got like four tenants a year. So that's one reason. The second is um, regulations, which you mentioned in the intro is just there are so many regulations coming in everywhere is kind of starting to frown upon short term rentals. And so it's only available in certain markets or certain subsets of areas. So for us now, this is this great like gray area that people are just not focusing on yet. Got it. How how are you able to keep up with those regulations? Because in my city, I'm in Philadelphia. Um, it's almost like somebody got stuck with a bad Airbnb and somebody hates Airbnb here because every single year I see them getting stricter and stricter, which is becoming harder for uh, Airbnb people, hosts. How, how are you able to, to keep up with that? And has you have you ever yeah. been impacted by the, the change in regulation? Yeah, I have. Um, here in Boulder, where I live, I live in Boulder, Colorado, um, we started where it was just completely open. And I think it was sometime around 2017 or 2018 that they started to put in regulations. So here it either has to be your primary residence where we do it in our primary, which is the background here if people are watching. Um, and then we also have a few um, individual apartments and those I can't do short-term rental anymore. So I am doing that MTR space where is 30 days plus. And that works out well. So that's that's the new regulation in Boulder is it has to be at least a 30-day lease for them not to consider it short-term? Yeah, that's true pretty much across the board. The only state that I've seen it not be true is Florida. They say under six months is a short-term rental. But most states, it's that 30-day rule. And then you're basically lumped in with long-term rental. So nobody really cares. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. I've you know, dabbled or thought about potentially getting into the, the Airbnb space. I'm just very, you know, a little bit you know more conservative as far as the risk goes. And yeah. I, in this city, it's just hard to kind of keep up with those laws. Um, all of your Airbnbs are in, you know, an area with 
within a certain distance of your house or have you ever considered potentially going outside of your area to buy Airbnbs? Yeah. So I own Airbnbs in four states and so they're kind of all over the place. And I, at one point managed in five countries. And so I've gotten really good at automation and just kind of managing from afar, setting up your on the ground team. So let's let's hop into that then, because automation I hear is huge with Airbnb. It's you know it's really big in real estate in general. You you want to be clicking less buttons to get more done. Um, what type of systems did you put in place since when you first got started to where you're at now to kind of automate some of your business? Oh my god! When I first got started, I was doing it all myself. I was the cleaner. I was the, you know it was just everything. <laughs> Guest communication. I did it all. But now you can have softwares for almost anything. And I think that can be a little bit uh, overwhelming for people. So I like to keep it to just a couple. And so I think if you're doing shorter midterm, you definitely need pricing software. And the reason being is that every single night can be a different price. So just like a hotel does, the rates fluctuate a lot and it's because there's seasonality and there's just events that are going on in a town. And so you want to make sure you're on top of that. And that's something that the software is going to see and you're not going to just know. So even though most people start with just tinkering around on their own, I really think you're leaving money on the table if you're not using a pricing software. So we do that. And then another thing we do is auto messaging. And so I have a series of like seven messages that I use uh, for guest communication just to keep the flow of them asking questions to a minimum. So I kind of anticipate what they're going to want ahead of time and then set it up in those auto messages so that they've got it already. Got it. Smart. So making just making a little bit more streamlined so you're doing less work um, and able to, you know, grow the business and be able to have more without having to have unbearable amount of messages come through with, with crazy questions. Yeah. It's, it's all about systems. Like what you were saying earlier is you've basically done long-term rentals. So then you've got all your systems for that. So if you switched even one of your properties to a short-term rental, it would be a heavy lift because now you've got to completely change your systems, but going from one short-term rental to three to five, it's all the same. It's the same amount of work pretty much, but you have to be making that commitment to switch to a different system. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I want, I want to talk about, um, you know, how to decide what location you've decided to be in. Did there a specific reason why you picked those four States? How would, if I'm a newbie Airbnb person, how would I go about picking specifically what area Airbnb would be good in? Yeah. So if you're talking about short-term rentals specifically, I feel like right now is a hard time to get into them. So 2021 was the biggest year of short-term rentals ever. And because of that, a lot of people jumped in late 2021, early 2022, and the numbers that they're seeing in 2022 can be up to like 40% less. And so a lot of people are licking their wounds because they were doing their numbers based off of these crazy inflated 2021 numbers, which was like post COVID travel people, everybody wanted to get out. And now as we're moving into a little bit of a recession and we don't really know how long that's going to last, I think short-term rentals are going to be a little bit stunted for the next couple of years while we ride this out. So it's not my recommendation per se to go there. If you are going to go for it, I would try to stay somewhere close to an urban market because the travel people are going to be doing now is going to be a lot more business travel 
and a lot more required travel. So instead of maybe going on these lavish vacations, they're going to just see their family or they're traveling for work. So that's why we like the medium term rental space because you're working with business travelers, you're working with traveling nurses, people traveling for work, um, even digital nomads. So once you get into that 30 days plus, it's a lot safer of a strategy than I think the short term rentals are right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I think it's like that short little sweet spot, like kind of like the three little bears. It's not all the way to everyday turnover. It's not a yearly lease where you're stuck with somebody. You're just kind of right in that middle sweet spot where they're there long enough to enjoy it, but they leave before, you know, it becomes, you know, a point where they're, you know, stuff's starting to break or it's starting to put a lot of wear and tear on the place. Yeah. I, I definitely think there is a sweet spot there because when someone lives there for a long time, they get to know the house. They know when the trash comes. They get, they just feel this kind of pride of rentership. It's funny they talk about pride of ownership, but when somebody is bought in, they're happy to go get batteries for the remote control. Like they're happy to help out and do some things. They'll change the light bulb. Short term rental people, man, they will not do anything. They are helpless. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I was I I stay in Airbnb quite a bit actually. I've probably stayed in over 100 Airbnbs over the last couple of years and I was at an Airbnb yes uh this past week in North Carolina and there was no batteries in the remote and I wasn't going to be the one to to put the batteries in, but I'm sure the person before me was also the same way. Oh and I'm God. sure the batteries Did will not be in the remote. Did you tell them? I hope you told uh, them. I didn't tell them. So oh my God. You were part of the problem. <laughs> I am. I am part of the problem. I am here to admit that I am definitely part of the problem. And oh um, maybe I maybe I could have went back. And I hope you message. send them a message after this podcast. <laughs> You're will. like, oh, I by the way, there were no batteries. You, ha <laughs> you have you have me feeling bad. I think I might. Um, cool. So was it was real estate Airbnb? Because I'm I'm super fascinated. One that you knew in 2012 to get into this and two that you've you've been able to sustain through different markets like you said right at one point you know during covid nobody could leave their house and it was a definitely a scary a scary ride for investors and then all of a sudden the bubble burst it and everybody and their mother was traveling around the world doing all these things and now it's starting to cool down um was airbnb was was real estate something you always knew you wanted to do how did this all start for you I've always had a love of real estate. So I'm the type of person that when I am invited into someone's home, I like I want a tour. I want to know how somebody lives. I want to see how they decorate. I'm always so fascinated about that. But I never thought I could own a home because I was raised poor and my family didn't own. And I just thought that that was a real far stretch. So yeah, it really happened accidentally. That's one of the things that I love about doing short-term rentals is that you can rent just your own space. So you can test it out in a guest room or your own house if you're going camping for the weekend or going to visit somebody. And that doesn't take a huge investment, right? You already have all these things. So why not rent it out and make a little side income? But what it also does is it lets you have this real estate training wheels of like, Oh, do I like to be a landlord? Is this something that I want to do? Is there demand in my city? You can just try it. And so for me, it just, I fell into it and then it just kept working. And I, then it took over my whole life. So I didn't realize that was going to happen. Well, it looks like it turned out if you're able yeah. to retire at 28, um, it's definitely something good to fall in your lap. But I just want to unpack a little bit what you said about 
um, you grew up not knowing how, that if you could buy real estate because your parents didn't own it. And I think that's, you know, that's honestly the same, same thing with me is, you know, looking back is, you know, I, you think you have to be the richest person in the world to own real estate. And a lot of people aren't taught how to buy real estate, what to do to even buy their, their first home. You know, we go through school, we go through grade school, middle school, high school, college even, and learning how to buy a home or just being educated on the topic of buying real estate is not something that's broadly talked about. And I just wish more people knew how much easier it is, especially if it's your first time buying a house, how much easier it really is to buy a home. It's honestly easier for a first time home buyer to buy a house than it is for me right now, just because I have such a portfolio. Now I got to put 20% down. So I think yeah. that's just an important message to get across. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I wish I'd known it when it started. I put 20% down on my first one. <laughs> it just happens when you don't know. Yeah, it's the truth. It's the truth. Um, so you you started off Airbnb. Uh, you said you were Airbnb your own house, correct? How How yeah. is that having somebody live with you? Oh, I loved it. So I don't know if you remember this, but there's this website called Couchsurfing. And that was big for a little while. It was big kind of in 2006. And at the time I was traveling in Europe. And so I heard about it and then I started using it a bunch. And the basic premise is that people that are travelers just open their house up to other travelers and let them stay on their couch or their floor or their spare room if they have one. Um, and it's just a great way to kind of like help other people. And so I had come from that world. And so it didn't seem weird to me to have people coming into my house and then having them pay was just an added benefit, right? So I loved it because people would come and then I would want to show them around town. I would want to go to dinner with them. We'd do all kinds of fun stuff. And then by the time I was sick of them, they were gone. So it was better than having a roommate. You know, they wouldn't get on your nerves. It was perfect. Yeah, that does sound like a nice little gig. Um, and you can maybe even potentially charge people for the tour. I see now with the Airbnbs, you can get the car from them. You can get the full city tour when you're going international. Yeah. Um, you can you can get a, a personal chef they'll bring to your house for you and you can just get all those add-ons. So it's it's crazy to see you know where it started and what it's eventually has turned into. Um, what is your process for buying? Let's say you were to go buy an Airbnb today. Um, how does that process look for just people that are new or considering getting into it from the moment you buy it to the moment you get your first tenant in there? Yeah. So my first thing is that I want to run um, the analytics just to see how it will perform. So there's a website called airdna.co and they have some free um, info they'll give you and then you can pay for that area and get really in-depth information. But they're pulling from Airbnb and Verbo, which is another website that's similar. And so you can see what people have been making in the last few months in that area. And so they'll figure out you know, what your home can make in a year, what your occupancy rate's gonna be and what your average nightly rate would be. And so I think that data really helps you to see, okay, great. Can I weather the storms through the slow season? Is this gonna be enough income for me? So what I like to do is I wanna take that gross number of what I can make and I wanna divide it by what my house costs. And from there, I wanna see at least 17%. And the reason for that is when I actually plug in all the numbers, it's probably gonna be somewhere around 25% cash on cash return. And that's what I really want to aim for with a short-term rental. 
Got it. So you're looking for 18% return on your money with a 25% cash on cash return. Those are the numbers that you typically look for? Yeah. So it's 17 when you look at the gross. I don't know why, but it just ends up being that way. So it's really easy. Some people even say 15% is enough. But when I'm looking at the numbers, it's really easy for me to go, okay, divide it by that. Oh, this doesn't work. This works. This works. So that you can put it into your spreadsheet and you don't have to do that for every single house because then that gets tedious and time consuming. Got it. So you've analyzed the specific area. You've decided, hey, listen, I want to be in this area. Uh, the numbers look good. What do, you, what do you do from there? Do you potentially purchase a property? Do you start looking for a realtor or do you look to rent it and arbitrage it? What's your next step once you've pinpointed a location? Yeah, I'm a buy and hold investor. So even though I started with arbitrage, the reason I don't do it now is that I've made most of my money through equity gains and appreciation over time. And so I don't really want to leave that in someone else's hands. But I think arbitrage is a great way to start. It's just like wholesaling or flipping. It gets cash in your pocket. And then from there, you can invest it in assets. So that's what I usually recommend, but people are different. Um, I lost your question. Where are we at now? <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I, I just want to say I agree. Arbitrage is a great way to um, learn the industry, just like wholesaling. You can figure things out without having too much risk exposed. You're not, you don't own the property. You could always just break the lease. Um, but once you've uh, figured out which area you're in, how do you go about purchasing a property or picking the right property? Yeah. So I usually work with agents that own or manage properties in the area because I want to know, okay, it's street to street or what's the regulations, especially if I'm out of state, which I usually am because Colorado is a pretty expensive state. So right now I'm actually looking in Atlanta. And so I'm working with someone on the ground there who can do video tours for me and just really be my eyes and ears on the ground. Okay. So you've purchased a property. Let's say you found one in Atlanta. It's the, it's the perfect Airbnb. Uh, you close on the property. What is the kind of groundwork that you have to start to put in now to be able to get that thing rent ready on, on Airbnb? Yeah. So sometimes it depends on how quick I want it rented. Sometimes I will take just the listing photos, even if it's empty rooms, and I'll make an Airbnb listing as soon as I'm outside of my inspection period and I know I'm going to keep the house. So if I do that, I know, okay, if I'm going to fly in X date of closing, then it might take me five days to furnish this place. Great. I can have it available X date and I'll just give them a discount, whoever wants to book it first. And so sometimes I'm just giving myself that lead time to get it booked because sometimes it just takes a little while. So that's generally how I work. And there are furnishers that you can get on the ground or people that will fly in for you if you don't want to do it. But I always like to meet my homes because I may not go out there again for years. And so I want to be in there and know where the breaker box is and all that kind of stuff so that I can tell people virtually when I'm working with them if they need help with something. Got it. Is there anything specifically fancy you do to your Airbnbs that makes you stand out? I know Airbnb has definitely become a lot more saturated since you probably started in 2012. I think everybody and their mother is also trying to be an Airbnb host, which is good to see, right? Definitely good to see yeah. people going out there trying to trying to do it. But with the saturated market, is there something specific you would you would suggest or something you do to these Airbnbs so that people pick yours over the, the competition? Yeah. So you're right. There is a lot of competition out there. And I would say it, it comes down to three things. So unique properties, like if you've seen the 
the potato that they have in Idaho that they made into like a cool tiny home. Like there's a lot of tree houses and things like that. Those properties do really well because people want like a different experience. The second would be large properties. So specifically, I'm looking for five bedrooms plus just because there's not that much inventory. Everybody's got a spare room, a spare like basement or one and two bedrooms. Those are really easy to come by once you start getting to these bigger homes and luxury stays. There's just not a lot of places for them. So that's really important. And dang, what was my number three? I knew I should have wrote it down. <laughs> you, put, you put a miniature basketball um, court in the basement? Oh, so no, but my number three is doing something that really stands out in photos. So a lot of people now are doing murals, but just kind of furnishing in a place that really seems Instagrammable. Like people want to take pictures and brag about where they are and stuff. And so you see people with neon signs and like cool built-ins and wallpaper and just different kind of stuff that stands out. Yeah, I've seen that as well, especially for like the bachelorette parties or the bachelor party areas. They have all the crazy stuff on the wall so everyone could take their Instagram photos or they could post uh, to show people what, they, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, is there any, is there anything if you could go back and look, is there anything you would have changed about sort of where you are today or would you have continued down the same path? Anything that stands out to you that you would have done differently? That's interesting. I, I think now that I'm in the midterm rental space, it, I, it's become apparent to me that it's better to have a lot of properties in one town than be spread out. So I'm in the spot of selling off some of my properties and kind of moving all to one area. Um, and the reason for that is that if you start to build relationships with different com companies, so you're doing corporate rentals or you're doing insurance contracts, they're going to be sending you more referrals. And so the more properties you have, then you don't have to turn anybody away. You don't have to say no every time you can help somebody. And that's going to look really good. So yeah, for me, I think I would have had them all in one area and I would have started with bigger homes. I just, when I started, I couldn't afford it. I started with a one bedroom apartment and built from there. So sometimes you just do what you got to do to get going. But now knowing what I know, I'm investing in bigger. Nice. And, and for the bigger ones, so let's say it's a five bed. What is that? That equates to what 10 people could stay there and you're able to charge more? Yeah. And you could do more. Sometimes people do bunk beds. Sometimes they put two queen beds in a room or they'll do a sleeper sofa. So sometimes people really try to pack them in. But generally what you're seeing with those bigger homes is that it's going to be two families. And when you've got so many people in there, they can pay a lot more a night because they're splitting it. Right. So it's not hard to charge a thousand dollars a night if you've got everybody just paying a hundred bucks. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. Um, what are some of the, the pitfalls and the downfalls of, of, of short-term or, or midterm um, rental spaces? I know we talk a lot about what the, the, the added benefit is and why people like it. What are some of the pitfalls? I just like to be you know, realistic and just throw it all out there. What, what the, what's the yeah. reality? What, what are some of the things you see on your side? I'd say the seasonality is hard. So um, most places in the U.S., it's going to be really busy in the summer because that's when people are traveling uh, and they're out of school with their kids and everything. Um, so the seasonality can be hard in winter unless you're in a ski season or a ski area. And then I think just the competition in the space has gotten so fierce. And that's another thing I like about the midterm space is that that competition is not as high as what you're seeing on Airbnb. 
but the short-term rentals, it just seems like now it's boutique hotels and interior designers, and there's just real professionals in the space that the average person is just not that well-equipped to compete with that. Got it. That makes sense. Would you ever consider trying to do long-term or converting any of your seasonal, uh, more seasonal space midterm uh, into long-term rentals? Have you ever done that before? Or is it you just try to bite the bullet and just keep fighting through the season? I own a few long-term rentals. I, in 2019, I was kind of burnt out and I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm buying new construction and I'm buying long-term rentals and that's all. But times change in the real estate markets, they shift really fast. And so what I could afford in new, in new construction, I can't do anymore. It's just changed a lot. So I just kind of go with the times and pick up what I can at the time that it works. I could turn some of my older places into long-term rentals, but once you're used to that high cash flow, it's hard to go back. <laughs> it's yeah. true. I'm over here with my single families and I get a lot of guests on that have, you know, trailer parks or different, you know, everyone's about cash flow and I'm making three to $400 a month on a short-term rental. I mean, on a long-term rental, right? And let's say Which is still a window pretty good. Breaks. Well, let's say a window breaks or let's say, yeah, then you um, lose your, all your profit for the year. Yeah, exactly. One, one, uh, a hot water heater blows out and there you mm -hmm. go. There's, there's the, there's the whole year. But again, there's also the stability of the, the tenant. And once you fix that hot water heater, hopefully, you know, you don't have to fix it for another 10 to 20 years. So that's just kind of the reality is of being a real estate landlord. Um, yeah. Any horror stories that you have where uh, I know in, during COVID, once um, someone stays for 30 days, they're considered a tenant in some areas. Have you ever had any horror stories where people try to stay? How do you kind of combat that? I haven't had anybody try to stay longer. I think what's great in that midterm space is that most people are coming on a contract. So they're working on a construction site or they're um, a traveling nurse and they have an end date. So they're not really trying to stay longer. They're trying to go home. So I haven't really had an issue, but I imagine some people have. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was big in Philly here. Cause once you hit a 30 day, you, you're, you go from being a guest to a tenant, I guess the uh, logistics goes. So people would become tenants and then in, in the city of Philadelphia to get people, uh, you know, out of houses that are now considered tenants, it's a six month uh, eviction process. So a lot of people were getting um, kind of shorthanded there. Yeah, I'm surprised that Airbnb hasn't picked up putting in a lease because they could just make it one step that you go from, you know, putting in all your info and then the next page is a lease and then you sign it and then you go on. And I think that they should do that for all over 30 day rentals. I don't know why they don't. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, I've stayed somewhere where it wasn't even 30 days and it was uh, the first time I ever had to do this on Airbnb and they made me go an extra step and sign more documents outside of Airbnb before I was able to come. Yeah. We might be seeing more of that. Yeah. For sure. Um, how are you able to kind of keep up with or any sort of strategies on your side? I know with Airbnb that it's with the, with with a quicker turnover, right? With midterm midterm, it might be a bit different, but with wear and tear on the property, not always knowing who made the damage and if you can find all the damage, it's not possible to look at every crease and crack every single time there's a turnover. What's what's sort of the strategy there? How do you kind of combat that? I think it helps to have the same cleaners every time. So 
if you've got a cleaning team, like have the same two people that are always there because they know the house intimately and they can say, oh, this wasn't here before and check in with each other. So generally they do find everything on a turn. I, I think on occasion things don't get found and it's just wear and tear and you have to chalk it up to part of that. Fair enough. I guess that's just part of the added expense with being an Airbnb host. It's just something you kind of have to expect and kind of plug into the numbers when you are um, doing the numbers is that there's going to be some wear and tear. Yeah, it's not too bad. I want to talk a little bit here because I know you're an author on Bigger Pockets, so I want to dive into that. You have you are an author of a book, or what exactly um, do you do for Bigger Pockets? Yeah, so there we released a book, Sarah Weaver and I, um, this year called Thirty Days Stay, and it's all about midterm rentals. And you can purchase that on Bigger Pockets. Yeah, if you go to Bigger Pockets and you use code Ziana, so my first name, you can get ten percent off. Awesome. I am definitely very much interested to potentially read that. Um, Are you guys going to start publishing books? That's the next move. <laughs> Just be competitors with bigger pockets. <laughs> Listen, I want to. I want to be able to take um, and let's. I want to dive into this because I know bigger pockets is big on education. So I appreciate you kind of asking that. I want to be able to go in and teach as many people as I possibly can about real estate, whether that's through books, whether that's through podcasts, whether that's through anything. Um, I just feel yeah. like uh, as someone that, you know, definitely, and you, I'm sure you can relate, has had their life almost change because of real estate, right? I went to school for definitely finance. Changed. I went to school for finance. Uh, I got a four-year degree and I worked my first full year out of college at Morgan Stanley, pushing papers in a cubicle. Mm. And I was chasing that sort of life, that 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 free living life. I, I hate rules. I hate people telling me what to do, where to be, how to do it. Um, and I want to be able to bring that to as, as much youth as I can, um, to kind of educate them on the things that they don't necessarily teach in schools. Uh, why, why do you think that, why do you think real estate is not something that's, you know, a big topic that's taught to, especially to our youth or even made more something that should be known? Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess this is going to sound a little conspiracy theorist, but essentially, <laughs> Essentially, I think that the school system is we're creating workers, right? So they need some people that are out there making products and working in the companies and stuff. They're not creating thinkers and entrepreneurs. Those people, they break out of the system and, and go their own way. Yeah, it's fair because, you know, I see most people that are real estate investors. Like for me, I was burning CDs in, in first grade and selling them to, 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 to kids that didn't have to go to Walmart for half the price. Or I was yeah. just doing little things. I, I had a, a chimney cleaning business for a while where I never had touched a chimney, chimney in my life, didn't even know what, what I was doing, but I was cleaning chimneys uh, and making a profit that way. So I feel like the only people that I see breaking out of this this sort of barrier is people that had already preconceived known that they were self-made entrepreneurs. Yeah, totally. I was selling candy. I was selling like printed pictures of rock stars or did all <laughs> kinds of stupid stuff. But you do you do that when you're a kid and you sort of test it out and you learn about supply and demand and how to charge and what your overhead is. It's it's great. What what would you suggest for for people that are, you know, the first question people always say is where do I start or how do I get into this? Like how, how do I break through this barrier for you? It kind of just fell into your lap. 
and you yeah. didn't really expect it. But for the people that want to, all right, I want to do this. What what type of advice would you give to, for people that want to get into this or where, where would they go for resources? Yeah, I mean, I think community is everything. So a lot of people that are getting interested in real estate, they don't have any friends that are doing it. They don't have any family and everybody's going to be naysaying you. So you need to be around people who are actually doing it. And so that can be an in-person meetup, but it can also be communities online, like what you guys have created. And I think that's just super important. And then surround yourself or, you know, try to add value to this person who is actually doing what you want to do, whether that's flipping or short-term rentals so that you can have a mentor because it'll save you so much time and hassle. Even if you have to pay for a mentor, just make sure they're not full of crap. But <laughs> that's also a good way to go because it took me a lot longer because I didn't have a mentor and I had to just try stuff out. Yeah, and that's and that's really the uh, the main purpose. I know I'm I'm 28 here, and I, I like to tell people I'm a little bit older, um, but I think I'm like I'm like halfway across the bridge, I guess, maybe even a quarter way across the bridge. But um, I I didn't have a lot of these resources as well. I know I had bigger pockets, but the reason I created we created the asset estate community is just because we pretty much created the things we wish we had when we were getting yeah. into this, you know, I didn't know I was necessarily going to be in real estate. It kind of fell in my lap and I just had a knack for, for it and, uh, ended up falling in love with it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what our community is based around is the things I wish I had when I was getting more involved. Um, and, and today with yeah. technology, there really isn't any excuse for, for why people can't get more involved because everything's right at the, at the touch of your fingertips. And uh, yeah. I never suggest for anyone to pay a mentor, um, with physical dollars because Depends. there's just a lot of these, these scam artists out here. But I would say that if you're going to pay with anything, pay with value, bring some sort of value to somebody where they could use the value you bring them. And in return, they're going to teach you. Um, I think that'd yeah. be, be the best way. So where are we at now? What's, what's life look like for, for Ziana? How many, how many units do we have all together and, and where, where do you see yourself going in the next five to 10 years with this? Yeah. So I have 11 units. I just sold one uh, last week. <laughs> so I'm changing my portfolio over. I'm probably going to pick up another three to five large home luxury uh, midterm rentals this year and probably just focus on that because those can make a lot of cash flow, especially if you get into insurance contracts, they pay, pay the most. And so I want to just learn this year as much as I can. Even though I wrote a book on midterm rentals, there's still a lot and this is still a very new industry. And so I'm I'm studying, I'm paying mentors, I'm doing everything that I can do to really maximize my business so that I can have a small portfolio, but that it's really, really powerful. Cool. Um what what is like some ways to to go out and kind of build that that sort of um I'm losing track of the word here. Build, build your sort of your the surrounding of people around you, like your you network. Know, I know with, your network, yes. Thank you. I know yeah. you know with Airbnb, you can't, especially if you're doing it far away. You know, how do you know you know where to go to find people that could potentially help with furnishing or help with uh, the things that you necessarily can't do? Yeah, well, if people need help with connections, reach out to me. I have a whole vetted list of agents nationwide and then furnishers that will fly or they'll even furnish from afar. They can do it virtually and then send you all the links and you can set it up. So 
there's a lot of ways to figure that out and make it easy. But again, I would just say, try to find in-person meetups. It's great to do stuff online, but it's so valuable to meet people in person. As long as you don't live in a super, super rural place, I imagine there are like three to five different events happening every month. There's just really a, a large real estate community and getting to know those people, they're so generous in most cases, and they'll really give you all their resources and help you. And it's just a great place. Absolutely. I've, I've found that, you know, once you break out of that comfort zone and, and you do go out and decide to meet people, um, I went to my first real estate meetup, I think it was five years ago. And some of the people I met there are my best friends today. And actually, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago, I was speaking at one of them. So it just, it's funny to see how, how life turns um, from being a student to now, you know, now educating. Um, awesome. Yeah. I have, um, I just want to say, I appreciate your time. It's, it's good to see other investors in different areas doing things different ways. Um, we have our asset estate, um, discord question of the, of the evening here. And I'm interested to see, I'm sure with Airbnbs and being in different markets, you've seen some crazy things. What's the craziest experience or craziest thing you've seen when being in the real estate market or being in real estate? So I had a really bad tenant during COVID, and this is totally my fault because I got really desperate. And that's always when things turn bad and you kind of let down all of your guard and maybe you're not as thorough with vetting people. So that's exactly what happened to me. I rented to a woman and her husband, but never talked to her husband. She ended up leaving her husband while they were in my place. And then I was stuck with this guy that I didn't know anything about. And it turns out he was a little bit mentally ill or different or something. And he ended up doing crazy stuff. He destroyed all of our furniture. Um, he had his dogs like peeing in the house. He installed this thing from the ceiling and mounted our our TV onto it, but it basically just killed the TV. The guy was really weird. He broke our bed and then built like this weird uh, lofted bed out of wood. And he was just like, oh, you can keep it. It's great. I'm like, whoa, okay. So that cost us probably 15 grand to get that place back up and running. He didn't try to stay though. So that is not one of those eviction people, but it was definitely one of those really heartbreaking moments. And today that property is doing great and it's fine. And in that same year, that property appreciated 50K. So even though we had a 15K loss, real estate is very forgiving. So don't let it scare you away. Yeah, absolutely. And in just kind of this, the way life works, right? With numbers, having quick turnover or quicker turnover than the average, having three months, you have to eventually with the way it is here, you have to fall upon somebody that's not going to be the greatest tenant. That's just the way it works. You can't expect to always have someone that's good. Um, I, I hate to see it when uh, it's crazy, the people out there and um, yeah. losing, having to lose $15,000 uh, to learn that lesson. But um, I think it's a, if you look back, um, it's worth the lesson to learn and um, you just move on from it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I've been doing it now 11 years and I've had maybe three or four really weird tenants, but it's, it's not that bad. And it's not that often. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate the insight on, on the midterm uh, leases and the structure of that in the short term and just seeing uh, the pioneer of Airbnb space and, you know, starting off and, and seeing where it's taken you. Um, I just want to say I appreciate the value you bring and just, you know, paying it forward and uh, teaching people, you know, what you do and, and through your experiences. So I just want to say thank you and all the all the all the best of luck and the best of wishes in the new year. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you.